0: Hello and welcome to History Factory Plugged in, the podcast at the intersection of business and history. I'm your host, Jason Dressel. And today we're going to celebrate the 230th birthday of an iconic American institution, an institution that is emblematic of American business and ingenuity and is a global icon. I'm talking about the New York Stock Exchange, which marks May 17th, 1792, as its origin date, 230 years ago today. And here to tell us all about it is my new friend, Pete Ash, communications and archives manager at the New York Stock Exchange. So quick intro, Mr. Peter Ash is the New York Stock Exchange archivist and the executive producer of the growing podcast Inside the Ice House. Pete manages the team that is responsible for the New York Stock Exchange archives, which chronicles the activities of the exchange from its founding to present day. Pete is also regularly interviewed by major news outlets and media platforms like this one. And in addition, he's also appeared on more minor outlets like CNN, Bloomberg, and the Wall Street Journal. So let's jump into my conversation with Pete about the origin story and 230 year and counting evolution of the New York Stock Exchange. Pete, welcome to History Factor Plugged In. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy uh, happy two hundred thirty year birthday to the New York Stock Exchange this week.
1: Thanks. I think we look pretty good for our age.
0: Yeah, you guys are holding up well. Um, so let's let's start let's start with uh, with the beginning back in uh, back in seventeen ninety two. Um, you know what what is the origin story of the New York Stock Exchange and uh, for those who maybe know just a, a little bit about uh, American financial history, they may have heard of a thing called the Buttonwood Agreement. Um, so, what uh, what is the uh, what's the beginning, and how does it unfold from there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're two hundred thirty years old, but really, like, the conversation about the exchange starts even in the sixteen hundreds when you know the corner of, of what's today Wall and Broad at the time was called Wall Street because there was a wall down the middle of the road. And then a wide street they built a canal on was was where you know the Dutch and then the English had set up their marketplace and it's where you know after after Revolutionary War after the Articles of Confederation it's where George Washington was actually sworn in as the first president and the exchange began as you mentioned that Buttonwood Agreement in 1792 uh, basically to trade uh, what what today most people call Hamilton bonds you know the the early bonds of the United States that were helping get the economy going and interestingly you know it's one of those things where. You know there's a lot we know and there's a lot we don't know um you know it's called the buttonwood agreement because the exchangers they met underneath a buttonwood tree uh which is an american sycamore and really you know what we know is is that traders met under there they may or may not have signed underneath there there's a little bit of, of 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 contradictory evidence on either they actually signed it under the tree or near the tree um, and also you know we always say you know 24 signers really there was 22 two two late arrivals signed a few months later um but really it it began the new york stock exchange in terms of it began the idea that you needed a formal place to buy and sell securities
0: and what what brought that about you mentioned that you know really the origins of of the stock exchange are really you know the origins of of the the colonial uh, economy as it were um what what brought about the agreement. What were the the challenges of the of the times, and what did it change in terms of how business was conducted in the early days of the United States?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, right now in 2022, we're seeing a, a similar thing happen, which is, you know, when you have these new ideas, these new ways of, of running the economy, you know, when things come under pressure, it, it really draws into question. And and so what had happened in 1792 is uh, this young country had had its first economic scandal. Uh, there had been uh, speculation on land. There been speculation on those bonds they were trading, and and as the economy came under under pressure, you know these traders came together and realized they needed a a formal place to trade because you know just like today, where when the economy comes under pressure, the trading comes back to the exchange. They needed to be, had, know where to go and buy and sell these securities when, at a time when you know when when the market gets tight, it's harder to find buyers and sellers. And so really, that's that's the backdrop. Um, hmm. And these twenty four traders had already been trading securities but it was really casual you know i always say it went from being able to wander around lower manhattan going from bar to bar and coffee house to coffee house looking for someone to trade to you know let's meet in one place and have a little bit of rules around how we do this
0: Hmm. it's amazing isn't it when you think back to how how informal it was right like yeah it's like What let's all just agree we're going to meet in one place and have like a few house rules, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I always say, you know, it's it's there were four four rules about no agreement, it's a very short agreement. They agree to meet every day, right? One spot. They agree to help bring buyers and sellers together, which is pretty obvious, right? Help people trade securities. Uh they agree to have trade between trusted parties, which is very simply, you know, making sure that a buyer actually has the money they say they have and the seller actually has the, the stock or the bond they say they have. And then the last thing they do is they agree to set a commission because they realize they're taking on a lot of risk. So they want to make sure they're going to make their money on the back end. And so they say, you know, we're going to agree to all charge the same amount to basically trade for the public. You know, that last piece we no longer do, but the first three are really still central to everything we do.
0: Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it just seems, seems reasonable enough. <laughs> so what, so, so, so then what happens, uh, you know, cause correct me if I'm wrong. Right. But like, again, like the wall street we think of today, even in the sort of historic sense of like the building, I mean, that, that doesn't, that doesn't happen for another, another few decades. Right. Uh, I mean, there's not suddenly this kind of shift and all of a sudden like, yeah, we have this, this exchange and everything's happened, changed overnight. What were some of the kind of pivotal moments in the development and, and maturation of the stock exchange, if you will?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when I described the Bunwood, I wasn't uh, summarizing. That's literally all it said. And, and yeah, so right. <laughs> um, in, in 1817 is the first time they actually realized, you know, we've, we've been trading for a while now, but we actually have no rules. We don't know. You know, we say we bring buyers and sellers together, but who are we and, and who are buyers and, and what are they buying? And so that's really the first step. They, they signed what became known as the New York Stock and Exchange Board Constitution, which was our first name. They drop the, the N board uh, later and go like New York Stock Exchange. And that's really the first sort of formalization from, I'd say, a uh, formalized gathering of people to an actual organization that's going to buy and sell and, and provide a structure. Um, and then really the, the next big jump doesn't happen until the 1860s with the uh, two, two major changes. Is First is there were a lot of exchanges early on, right? You know, today we're, we're known as the main one, we we have some competition. But early on, there was a lot of uh, different ones, and so in the 1860s, they all merged together under the New York Stock Exchange banner. Uh, we opened our first building. We, we hadn't met outside from 1792 until the 1860s. We had rented space, um, and then really the last part of that is is the invention of the stock ticker, which you know instead of having to wander around Lower Manhattan trying to find buyers and sellers, those orders could come through a wire from really you know by the by 1860s most of the eastern part of the country, and and by the by the 1870s, the the western part and even uh, London and and Europe.
0: Hmm. And you mentioned before, Pete, that um, you know some what, what, some of the triggers for for bringing about the, the the stock exchange and 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 more kind of ground rules with with land speculation. And how how has the stock exchange mirrored the growth and change of the American and, and global economies?
1: Yeah, I mean there's kind of there's two ways to, to, to look at that one uh, i think is a more interesting way is is who are the companies coming to the exchange to raise capital right and so you know originally founded to trade uh, US bonds so it's you know government bonds uh and then followed by banks followed by insurance companies you know think about it those are the people providing the the the, the base for other companies to start right you need you need a bank and you need insurance to start your own company today um, and then you see what happens after that is you see canals and railroads as the country becomes more connected. Then you see early industrialization. And and really, if you look, you know, if if you think about it, you look at you know something kind of straightforward in 1903, the Wright brothers airplane. Well, that's great, but it's not until the 1920s when airlines are coming or air, airplane manufacturers are coming to exchange that they're able to get into the capital to to present that as a as a real way of changing transportation. And that happens over and over again, you know. And you even see it today with the exchanges coming, the, the companies coming to exchange today, are a lot of those, you know, technology companies looking at Web 3.0, you know. And 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 I think one of the things that we we always are confronted with, exchange as a 230 year institution, is trying to explain to them that that while they're on the cutting edge, if you look back at our history, it's always whoever's on the cutting edge because you know to go from an idea to an experiment to an actual business, you need that capital uh involvement you know and even today where you know sort of the whole process and we won't get into that of how companies go public has changed uh it really is a matter of of getting that infusion of money which is really you know in 230 years the best way that's happened is through the, through the stock exchange and and really as i said you know that's sort of the one way and then the second way is you know the connectivity of the world you know originally i said it was people wandering around lower manhattan and then it connects to the larger country and then it connects to the global economy and even you know, founded in 1792, it sounds like a long time, but in this beam of history, it isn't. By by the early 1900s, the economy is so connected that when war breaks out in Europe, the exchange shuts down, even though the U.S. isn't involved, because they know that a war in Europe is going to have such an impact that they need to stop and think about how it's going to impact the U.S. economy, and, and that is really you see through the, the eyes of the exchange.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great great perspective. What it, Random question, Who who's the longest standing company on the on the exchange?
1: So there, there are two answers to that. Uh, I have to be careful I say this. So the the first company to list in the exchange is the Bank of New York. Uh, so Bank of New York, founded also by Alexander Hamilton, uh, listed in 1792. Um, they have never been delisted for a negative reason. They chose to delist during a period, which is why I have to be careful while I'm saying this, because they are a listed company today. Uh, there was a period they delisted following the regulations that came out of the 30s. Uh, and so the longest consecutively listed company is uh, ConEd, which is uh, for, for your audience, if they're from the Northeast, probably heard of, but if not, it's the utility company for New York City and the surrounding area. Uh, and they listed in 1823. Uh, so next year will be their uh, 200th anniversary of listing. And they have never missed a day of trading in their history. They've had different names and different versions, but unlike you know a company like Bank of New York, which has a longer history, there was a period where they didn't trade with us, where ConEd has always traded with us.
0: Wow. good for them so and so so that that makes me think about uh naturally I immediately think that you know next year there there will probably be a day where uh where Comed will be will be ringing the bell um and you, you mentioned the uh that's the the stock ticker earlier and the, the other kind of iconic thing that that uh probably a financial uh amateur historian such as myself thinks of as the ringing of the bell. How did that tradition come about?
1: Yeah, so so the idea of having a bell actually came out of um, in 1871, the exchange changed how it's traded. So before 1871, sort of We'll go back and then come forward is in 1871, we actually traded stocks one at a time. So if you wanted to buy or sell, we just talk about Bank of America, or Bank of Bank of America, which all straight then, but Bank of New York or Con Ed, if you want to trade any of those securities, you had to show up in the five-minute window of the exchange traded those and they went in order. So then, so you know, today an IPO, the, the you know, the, an IPO, the initial public offering, the new company listed the exchange usually rings the opening bell, right? It's the first thing you see in the exchange. Back then, the, the new companies came at the end of the day and they just tacked on five minutes to trade them. And so, in 1871, they realized they had to change trading. We could talk more about why they had to change trading, but basically, they originally dragged in a, a Chinese dong onto the trading floor, uh, and they used that to open and close the market. And then, in, in 1903, when we opened the current floor of the exchange, which you know most people don't realize is that that floor has been the same floor for uh, since 19 since 1903. Uh, that's when they introduced the bell. Uh, and originally, the bell was actually in the back of the podium because in 1903 it was just a way to let a large room of people know what's going on. And it was for our 225th that we actually brought that bell to the front of the podium. So when you see, when you tune in to today and see the bell on social media or CNBC or wherever you see it, that bell front and center, really you see it, but that's actually only within the last five years. Hmm. Uh, and and really the idea of companies ringing the bell also is only within the last 40 years or so. Uh, and that was a, 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 something that the exchange realized as you know, these bigger companies are coming to market. And as media began to play an increasing role in marketing played a bigger role in 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 sort of, you know, how companies listed, you know, it was the idea of like, let's have them come in and open the markets. You know, I always say it went from the worst job on the floor, which was the person had to walk up the two flights of stairs to ring the bell to yeah. a job where companies will fight tooth and nail to get their, their bell. Uh, and, and to go back to Con Ed and Con Ed, you know, as long as company has done several notable bells with us for their own history or our shared history. Um, they're a member of what called the Century Club, which is companies have been listed for at least a hundred years, obviously they're approaching 200 years. Um, and then they also come in uh, almost every year to to celebrate their their long history with us.
0: That's awesome and what that and I'm actually uh glad we got off on this tangent because you know we work with a lot of companies that um, have anniversaries and want to do the the ringing of the bell. Is there a kind of I, and I kind of know the answer to this, but just for the sake of our audience, what um what's kind of the the, the kind of uh, uh, sort of event kind of playbook or template? So if you're a company that is coming to New York to ring the bell because it's the 100th anniversary of your company or the 50th anniversary of you being on the stock exchange, what's the kind of playbook for what that looks like for, for a company?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good, good question. So for all of our bells, opening or closing bells, um, they start with, uh, we call it a bell, a bell ringing ceremony. And it's, you know, uh, a semi-formal presentation of, of a couple of gifts. You know, we, in addition to uh, ringing the bell, we, we also strike a medallion that goes to the bell ringer that has, you know, sort of their, their name and all the history uh, of that day on it. Um, and then we go down and I think what's interesting is that, you know, that bell is, is not just ceremonial, right? So they they actually have to be coached up. The bell ringer has to be coached up on what to do and how to do it. Um, you know, one of the things we've noticed is, you know, most people in today's world think you press a button and it goes right So to this push button world it's still a manual bell so you have to hold the button down and and sometimes they'll have to be told because if you lift it up and the bell starts ringing the floor will react because they're they're timing their activities to that bell um but yeah so they'll <laughs> go up and and so they'll do a couple of things so they'll get the we'll they'll them as little
0: ring we'll bell a little bell ring uh training session
1: yeah exactly a little bit of that you know a little bit of the rules he explain you know 100 million people at least are watching this bell you know a little bit of pressure um, and then they'll do a couple other things that are, I think are really notable, which is one is they sign the bell ringer signs, what we call our distinguished guest book, uh, which is a book that includes every bell ringer going back to, as I mentioned, about 40 years of, of daily bells. But it actually goes back even earlier to when, you know, they didn't necessarily ring the bell, but when politicians and famous people, uh, you know, almost anyone you think of at some point has, has found their way to the New York Stock Exchange to sign these books. We have a long lineage of these books. They ring the bell, and then every single person on the bell podium then signs the wall behind the bell, and that's a really cool. It's a, it's also about five year old tradition, uh, and what I love about that is twofold. One is that you you then walk up to the bell, you see the signatures of all the people who've signed before you, but also, you know, it, it's a bell that that is rang by by world leaders and CEOs. But sometimes, you know, you don't know who's on that who's on that bell podium, and to get their names aside besides these kind of. Uh, you know, iconic, classic kind of people is it, really fascinating because you know it's up to the company to who's on the bell podium and even who rings the bell. You know, and some companies will have you know the CEO and and their executive team. Some companies will have their their the their best performing salespeople. Um, a company a couple of years ago rang the bell and it was a family-owned and operated company for a hundred years, and they actually had as a truck truck company. And they actually had their longest tenured driver who had been driving a a big rig for 60 years for the company. He was the one that rang the bell up there with his wife. And it was, you know, sort of a that's so cool. Yeah. And they all get to sign the bell and and they they all get to sign the wall. And it's really, you know, a really cool experience. And, you know, our goal, I would say, is to basically help them make that day whatever they want and then just show up and enjoy the day with them, which is a, a really cool part of the job is we. We get to tap into everyone, you know, not to oversell, but often like one of the best days in people's lives. And we get to just show up and and just like soak that in every day. That's
0: really, that's really cool. And how, so from a more kind of technical standpoint, in terms of the operations of the, of the stock exchange, in terms of the value that you're creating for the economy and for businesses every day, how has the stock exchange evolved and changed in, this more modern era of of business, and uh, and you, you've mentioned obviously a lot of comparisons to what's happening in twenty twenty two, and with uh, with uh, you know Web three um, How is the New York Stock Exchange continuing to to evolve and change?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, if you look back, the biggest change is is that historically the exchange was where you know ninety to ninety nine percent of the stocks traded. Um, that's where they the markets were made, the stocks traded. And, and even if you know you as a retail buyer didn't act, you know, would never come down to the exchange yourself, your order would get routed there. What's changed is that now there there's competition, now there's a lot of technology, and also now the market moves way too quickly for for one location to be really be to be the kind of arbiter of it. And so I think one of the things you've seen is this change from. Uh, you know, what makes the exchange, our exchange different than everyone else we, we have these groups of these companies called uh, designated market makers, and their job is kind of self-exploited. They are designated by the exchange to make a market in a listed company. And, and what does that mean? Simply back to the buttonwood agreement, bringing buyers and sellers together, making sure everything can be trusted. Uh, but what they can't do, they used to literally have to stand and yell every every trade they made. They had to yell out to a crowd of people. They, they can't do that anymore. So it's changed from basically using the technology, using the cutting edge abilities of of algorithmic trading of of ai all 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 that happening and and that's all happening on their side not necessarily through the exchange but our jobs provide a place for everyone to plug into and that's really what's changed is we've now uh provided a a a technology platform that allows every trader to plug into and then our job is you know we're not manually approving all the trades it's basically to use technology to oversee make sure there's no strange trading Provide provide access to everyone, um, and then also I think what is important is to then make sure we get that data usable, right? I mean, we live in a data driven world, and so one of the things we've done, and, and this has really changed a lot in the last ten years, is to make sure that that data we're providing is is packaged in a way that that everyone from you wanting to look on your app on your phone to E Trade, whatever you use, Fidelity, can see. To you know, you can plug it into these a massive way beyond uh, either of our understandings as, as history peoples, you know, technology data clouds that can predict things and, and help with the trading. And it's really, that's, what's changed is the idea of basically um, making sure that people can connect to the exchange, how they want to, and then you get the information from the exchange as they need.
0: Awesome. And how, and, and as a history person, how how is the history and archives uh, of the exchange being utilized?
1: Yeah, I mean, we use it every day. I mean, I think first and foremost is that the building itself is, is a historic sort of monument to, to, to what we've done, but also the the global economy. Um, and we try to use our history in not only our own storytelling, you know, if you go on our website, listen, we also have a podcast, it feels inside the ice house named after our our parent company ice. Uh, you know, we, we talk about our history a lot, but it's really, how do we, we always look in a way to connect what's happening today to the past and, and inverse. Um, and so, one of the things we'll do in it is that we'll connect things happening today to the to the past. But also, we help companies with their own version of that. You know, there's a there's there's a lot of opportunities for you know, maybe something pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, I regularly several times a week get a company reach out to me, hey, we're celebrating this anniversary. What do you have about that? Or um, things you wouldn't even think about. We, I, I often get reached out by by the head of investor relations saying, hey, we don't know when we listed. We don't know how much stock we raised. We have a we have an investor whose great grandfather bought stock in 1903, and we're being asked to price it. How do we do that? You know, and, and we have that data. Um, and then also we'll do we'll do fun things. We'll just collaborate with them on on more fun fun versions of that. You know, uh, GE General Electric uh, listed with the exchange in in, in the 1890s, um, and so when they rolled out GE lighting with LED, they actually did a then and now series. And so we provided them a lot of information, images, pictures that help tell that story. Because not only have they been listed with us since then, but when the building opened in 1903, we used GE technology to power the building. And in 2022, we used their, actually used their lights to light the floor because if you've ever seen a picture, that floor is 90 feet above your head. So having, you know, great for environment, great for everything, you know, low energy, but also their lights last 90 years. So, you know, if you don't have to go up 90 feet for another 90 years, that's perfect, right? Um, and so, really, use it in lots of different ways. And one of the beautiful things is, we as as the as the archivist is, I ne- I'm never sure how I'm going to be asked to use it next. Um, and, and so, yeah. that's really been part of the the fun of the job is, you know, every time we have we build a relationship, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to be asked to to help help them do with that. You know, um, we've done things where you know we've had people who are you know CEOs of very large public companies, which I, I'll leave private which company it was. But but he was a big fan of Edwin Land, who was the inventor of uh, Polaroid, right? He he, he had a, he was sort of the first uh, draw Harvard dropout turned uh, inventor uh, along a long list of those. And so <laughs> when, when he came in, um, he, he asked to see what we had on that. And we had letters and things like that, letters that, that Edwin Land had written. Um, and one of the funnier things is that because this was a, a very young tech entrepreneur, we got a thank you know from his mom about how much how much this billionaire, uh, and I'm not overselling it, the man is a billionaire, uh, enjoyed just spending some time in the archives, looking at old, you know, letters from Edwin Land, you know, it's, you never know how you're going to connect with these people. That's awesome. What, and what are some of the most interesting items or what are some of your favorites in the archives? So I think one of the things is that, you know, I think one of the more interesting items is when I find something that connects with someone and that could be some the example I gave, or, you know, there are companies uh, with, century-long connections exchange but they're also families you know they're families who've been in the exchange for uh generations and so i think one of the more interesting and, and one of my fair pieces is uh we actually have a book that all the members have signed since the 1860s and so when you became a member of the new york stock exchange historically you purchased a seat on the exchange and today it's a little more of a formal you know, take tests and things like that they signed the book um and so it's a really cool piece because not only is this is it this book and it and to be for for full full uh, version, it's actually four volumes at this point, but but it's considered one book. Not only does it have you know the Rockefellers and and the J P Morgan signatures, but you know I'll I'll sit there with a member, you know a twenty two year old, you know new member of the exchange, and we'll be able to flip back and we'll find his father and his grandfather and his great grandfather, maybe his great great grandfather. And typically, those families also have cousins and uncles and and granduncles and and grand nieces and. Things like that in there as well, uh, and so it's really a, an interesting thing because it's on one hand a history of the exchange, but on the other hand, it's also these families' personal histories, yeah. um, and they go back, um, and that's definitely an interesting piece. And and in general, I think one of the fun things is another one of uh, the interesting things that we do have the listing records for these companies, and what that means is what they had to do to list, which today is very formal, right? Yeah, you know, to say boring, but you know, there's a lot of forms they fill out of the SEC, and it's all digital, but. Historically, it was letter writing. It was, hey, I have a company. I think we should list, and 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 sending drawings and pictures and things like that of like this is my company, uh, and it's really a, a treasure trove of 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 information and, and fun history. Uh, you know, when Edison and when Thomas Edison listed GE, you know, he sent in his uh, his form to, to rent a locker, right? Like a, a basically a part of the safe to. To see, save his stock certificates because you know that's where the value was. So you you keep on site, and he actually hand changed the contract to make it for him and his wife to have equal access because uh, he 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 his he viewed his second wife as a as a pure business you know obviously his wife but also a, a more of a business partner than you would typically at that time. Mm. And so this form had pre filled Mister everywhere, and he would cross it out and put you know Mister and Mrs. And, and things like that.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. I wonder, yeah, that that triggers a number of thoughts in my head in terms of how companies could be using that content if they knew about it. That's really cool. What and what's one of your favorite stories to tell? Do you have like a, a couple stories that, like, if you're in a bar and someone's just like, hey man, like what's a great one? Uh, what comes to mind?
1: So so I think that the quick, like kind of fun, funny story I like to tell is sort of like what's your favorite fact of the exchange? Is, you know, so I mentioned the building opened in 1903. And at the time it was this it was the largest indoor space in North America. It's this giant space. And it was filled with paper because, and I won't get to all the mechanisms, but because of the way that the exchange run, it literally at most times, despite constantly trying to clean it up, most people were up to their ankles, if not higher in, in pieces of paper. And we also allowed smoking until the 1990s. So my favorite kind of fun fact is you have a room with thousands of traders for almost a century and they're smoking, flicking, flicking their cigarettes or, or or pipes or whatever onto this floor filled with paper, and we never had a fire. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, and then, sort of the meteor version, and this story I think is a is a is a, is a version of a story that, that talks about the larger conversation of uh, which you know I think historians are well aware, of but not the general public, of that. Like you know, history isn't planned; things kind of happen in in the way they happen is the New York stock exchange today operates with those designated market makers. It's what makes us different than every other exchange in the world. It's why in 2022, we have a human trading floor in lower Manhattan that every day, hundreds of people descend upon. And the reason why that is, is because as I mentioned in 1871, we got rid of trading stocks one at a time and switched to, to originally a gong and then a bell. And the way that the system evolved is one of the traders, uh, Suffered an injury and could no longer walk around the trading floor, and so instead of trading every single security, he sat in one spot and he traded. It was Western Union at the time was a uh, was one of our highest uh, volume stocks. It's still one of our longest listed companies, um, and he began to just trade Western Union because due to an injury he couldn't walk around and trade at all the trading posts. And so what began is as merely a you know injury rehab
0: accommodation accommodation
1: yeah. became the market structure of the New York Stock Exchange because. What they realized is, wait a minute! This one person is at the point of sale, and they're seeing the buyers and the sellers—not just now, all day, yesterday, tomorrow, next week, last month—and they actually began to self-appoint. Originally, called them specialists because they specialized in a stock, and today that is called known as a designated market maker. And it's you know one of the things that we've seen is you know for the first time in 230 years, we actually closed our floor in in 2020 for a few months. And it's a theory we had, but it actually has proven is we now have the data that says when there is a human being at the point of sale, volatility is reduced, it's a better market, companies are happy, happier, investors are happier, brokers are happier, the economy works better with that person at point of sale, which happened because someone hurt themselves in 1871, right? You know, it, It's an yeah. amazing thing to think about that in this yeah. global economy, so much is dependent on that random event occurring. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome.
0: Well, Pete, thanks so much for uh, sharing uh, sharing the time and the insights. Uh, happy 230 uh, to the New York Stock Exchange and uh, hope we can talk again soon, man.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much.
0: So great, right? Another terrific conversation with a company historian and archivist. Thanks again to Pete Ash for sharing his wisdom and wealth of knowledge with us. That concludes this episode. Our next episode of History Factory Plugged In will be out in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. Until then, be well, and thanks for listening. I'm Jason Dressel.